0: Good morning to you. In 1996, Taco Bell took off full-page ads in multiple newspapers across the country, stating that in an effort to reduce the national debt, they had purchased the Liberty Bell from the National Park Service, and they were renaming it the Taco Liberty Bell. True story. People lost their minds. Folks flooded the switchboards at both Taco Bell's headquarters in California and the National Park Service in D.C. but those people should have been more savvy. The ad was taken out on April Fool's Day. (laughs) Nevertheless, our society loves its liberty the most iconic line of our Declaration of Independent States, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Now, if you read that in D.C. in the Jefferson Memorial, they call it inalienable, but he actually wrote it in the Constitution as unalienable. With certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, what? Liberty and the pursuit of of happiness. In our culture, you can sell an awful lot of insurance with a simple jingle that repeatedly says, "Liberty, liberty, liberty, liberty." It does it a fourth time just to annoy you. In like manner, the Bible places great emphasis on the Christian's liberty. Jesus tells us in John 8:36, "If the Son sets you free, there is freedom." 2 Corinthians 3.17 tells us where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. Perhaps Galatians 5.1 puts it most plainly. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now today, we're in our second Sunday in 1 Corinthians 8. And from these 13 verses, we shall see that our liberty... Must be lived in love. Our liberty must be lived in love. And so if you would please turn with me in the word of God as we continue our study in 1 Corinthians 8, and if you don't have a Bible with you, reach out, and grab the Blue Pew Bible in front of you. You should find 1 Corinthians 8 on page 12:16 of the Blue Pew Bible, 12:16, 1 Corinthians 8. And as we turn in the word of the Lord to 1 Corinthians 8, let's turn to the Lord of that word in prayer. Father, we invite you as the Lord of this church, as the one who has spoken through the prophets to give us the Holy Scriptures. We pray today as we're in the sticky subject of disputable matters, as we look at our liberties, and yet we also look at our weaker brother, that you would help us to uncover and discover what the text is and is not saying. May we understand that we have liberty to be lived in love, But we are not under the uh, Shibboleth and Pharisees' demands. We have legitimate gospel freedom. And yet, within that freedom, there are times we curb that, not because someone is haughty and mighty and demands it, but because someone would be destroyed by our partaking of it in that instance, in their presence. This word is often weaponized by the haughty, may it not be so today. May You blow through whatever smoke we have seen that we might see clearly now Your Word unto us and that we might have liberty, lived in love. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So the Word of God says this in 1 Corinthians 8. We'll do all 13 verses. The Word of God says, "...now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge." For although there may be so-called gods in, in heaven or on earth, and indeed there are many gods and many lords, little g, little l, yet for us there is only one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge but some through their former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled food will not commend us to god we're no worse off if we do not eat and we are no better off if we do Thus, sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, I want to encourage you to go back, if you weren't here last week, to listen to last week's message. It's online. We looked at two points. We explained a lot of what's going on uh, in their situation in Corinth. And we learn two things. We learn that liberty lives, lived in love understands we have tremendous freedom in Christ. Uh, we can do anything that's not sin. You can do that. The question is, everything may be permissible, but is everything beneficial? And this is one of those instances where it may be permissible in general, but not necessarily helpful in specific. Brings us to point two. Liberty lived in love understands that non-sins are not sin. Therefore, our participation or rejection of these situations does not commend us to God nor defile us. So the people of the ancient world, if you go back and look at last week's sermon, you're going to see that that they were constantly put in front of these meat sacrificed to idols. The butchery, Uh, Almost all the meat came from the temples. Uh, You would bring uh, your meat to the the pagan uh, temple. They would take the innards. They would offer it to their gods. And then uh, the rest would be kept by the priest and sold in the market. So it was almost certain if you came across meat in your home or if you went to a restaurant. There weren't restaurants. You went to the temples that had dining rooms. We saw that last week up on the screen at one of the temples that we have the archaeological evidence of. And so there was no way to really participate in civic society, hang out with people. Uh, do business meetings, try to evangelize unless you're going to constantly deal with this issue of, wait a minute, was this meat sacrificed to idols? And the secret was it doesn't matter. If you were a Christian and you knew that idols don't matter, you had liberty to eat this, and many did. But there were other brothers who were new Christians, and they had been saved from these temples these false gods, and when they saw a Christian in the temple, they thought that, oh, as a Christian, I still need to make this God happy. Apollo or Poseidon, if you're going on a naval travel. And and so it was very confusing. And for them, when they went to the temple, it wasn't to eat meat, it was to make a God happy. And and that was the problem. Do you see? Okay, That's the problem with meat sacrificed to idols. And so what we're going to see is in the church in Corinth, much like the church today, different saints have different opinions on disputable matters, and there are other passages that deal with that situation directly. But our passage is dealing with this, and you need to understand the very narrow understanding here, that our passage is dealing with this is a situation where you do have biblical freedom. You are right to eat this meat, to do this activity, to do as you wish. However, there is another saint nearby who doesn't know of this freedom, And if this particular saint who doesn't yet understand the freedom they have in Christ uh, sees you partaking and they then are encouraged to go likewise, that will cause them to violate their conscience. That's all they have. They don't have the Word of God established deeply in this doctrine, What they have is this inner moral compass that points northish but not true north. And when you encourage them, not from the Scriptures to have freedom, but simply to join in because you're doing it, you set a magnet on their compass and it goes all cattywampus and it's very dangerous. We learned that last week. And so that brings us to our third point today. And it's something we forget. Liberty lived in love realizes that different saints are at different stages in their discipleship. In their understanding of the Word of God. Remember that a disciple means mathetes in the Greek, and a disciple literally means a learner. And so different saints are at different stages in their understanding of the Word of God. Indeed, their liberties under the Word of God. And we see this really clearly from our text that liberty lived in love realizes that different saints are at different stages in their discipleship look at verse 7 he's just said you have freedom to do this because those gods are not gods. there's only one God and that's the father and there's only one Lord and that's the son verse 7 however not all in the church possess this knowledge they don't know that yet they're confused some through their paganism, through their former association pre-Christ with idols, they eat food at a temple and they associate that as I am again worshiping this idol. You see, their conscience is weak. It's not informed by the word of God. That's what a weak person is, not a person with a strong opinion who demands you do something. It's a person who does not yet understand the liberty they have in Christ. And so their conscience being weak is defiled. And you break something that God doesn't want you to break. So, let's just remember, when it comes to matters not prohibited in Scripture, we need to realize that what is safe for one saint is not always safe for another saint. Now, you need to hear that. What's safe for one saint is not always safe for another. This is not because the truth has changed. Absolutely not. It's because different saints are at different stages in their understanding of the truth. The truth hasn't changed. But different saints are at different stages in their understanding of an unchanging truth. Are you with me? Mm. For example, saints in Corinth rightly realized that idols are nothing and that meat does not make me more or less righteous in the eyes of God. But sadly, there were new believers who were less discipled on this matter and they didn't understand. Not all in the church possessed this knowledge. Through their former association with idols, they they ate foods as though it was really offered to these false gods, and their conscience being weak is defiled because they joined in when they didn't understand their liberty. They went against the moral law of God in their heart because they didn't understand yet the written word of God for all time. When you invite... Those brothers, those weaker brothers, those brothers that are ignorant of what the Scripture says, to enjoy your legitimate liberty before their conscience has been instructed in that liberty, you do something incredibly dangerous. You see, until they know better from the Scripture, their conscience is all they've got. And if you teach a brother to sear their conscience, you take away one of the great elements the Holy Spirit uses in baby believers. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like You're a Christian, you know you have liberty to drink, you just can't get drunk. And you have a friend who's a Christian, but they struggle with alcoholism. And so you may have no problem inviting your other Christian friends to the bar after work for a drink, but you would be ill-advised to invite your brother who you know this is going to cause him. When he takes a drink, he will then go all the way into the drink, into the bottom of the sea, because for him it's a huge problem. Um, This can happen in any area. Uh, My favorite area is the one the uh, uh, apologist Paul Little used. Uh, Paul Little tells the story of a new Christian that he met. He was discipling people. He was sharing the gospel. And uh, Paul Little invited this new Christian to a baseball game. Pretty innocent, right? Let's go to a baseball game together. We'll spend some time together, have a few hours to talk. And the new Christian blanched. I mean, he just turned white. Christians can't go to baseball. And Paul Little thought, you know, I I thought I heard everything Christians can't do. This is a new one for me. Uh, And so he said, well, why can't Christians go to baseball games? And uh, the new believer proceeded to share that before he got saved, baseball was his life. Uh, Everything revolved around baseball. When he was at work, he always had games on. He'd listen to multiple games every day. He knew obscure statistics about uh, second-tier utility infielders from teams that era's gone by it was like his bible and it was definitely his religion so before christ what was baseball for this brother it was an idol it was a replacement for the living god so is it any wonder that when that particular brother got saved that the holy spirit told that brother at that stage of his discipleship you know what you need to stop doing Baseball." not because baseball was bad It was bad for him at that time until he grew in his walk with the Lord. And so it was absolutely the right decision for that believer until he grew stronger to forego baseball. Here's the problem. This baby brother thought all saints should abstain from baseball because for him it was a snare. So what does Paul Little, the mature believer, do? Well, here's the answer. He did not take that brother to the baseball game. But he didn't stop going to baseball games when he wasn't with that brother. Paul Little's liberty was not permanently curtailed by this other brother's temptation. And yet, liberty lived in love meant Paul Little missed a baseball game he wanted to see that day, that time, because he loved that baby brother. Now, friends, I want you to hear this very clearly. The weaker brother in our passage is not someone steeped in their opinion, demanding everyone else cave to their convictions. You know what that is? Bullying. Bullying and it's unbiblical. We do not have to cower in deference to another's personal preference just because some saints loudly demand it, and they get a faction in the congregation to demand it of all of us. Our passage is speaking of another situation altogether, that of an inadequately discipled Christian, probably a newer Christian, who does not yet understand their biblical freedom on this matter, so their overly sensitive conscience urges them to forego this activity. And, and that saint, in that circumstance, will liberty lived in love means I will temper my legitimate freedom so they don't learn to sear their conscience. Now remember, we learned last Sunday, what is a conscience? A conscience is that God-given imperfect moral guide which keeps us from harm until we're mature enough to understand the full truth. The conscience doesn't take us to north. It takes us to north-ish. A compass takes us to magnetic north, which is slightly different than true north. But magnetic north is a lot better if you're lost than no compass. You follow? That's what the conscience is like. And so, when you think about this, the Holy Spirit has given us His holy word, and that's always north, but not everyone knows everything that's in it. And so in the meantime, you have this conscience that makes people go, I'm not sure I should do that. We don't want to have people violate their conscience so that until they know the truth, they at least are kind of north-ish. Now when you think about that, you go, well, what's the Holy Spirit doing? Why doesn't He just take Him to true north? And the answer is, this is a thick book. Are you still learning things in the Word of God? So is everyone else particularly the new believer. And and so, the Holy Spirit has wisely and wonderfully seen fit to help baby believers avoid certain behaviors until they've grown capable of handling them. And that is perfectly in keeping with how any good parent approaches parenting. Let me show you what I mean. We do not allow our toddlers to play with sharp tools and dangerous machines. But when those toddlers grow up to be teenagers and they enter into adulthood, it becomes totally appropriate for use correctly. So God uses a believer's conscience as sort of like a God-given temporary restriction until we've grown up under the biblical instruction to know how to use the lawn mowers of life without losing fingers. You see? Okay So When I got off active duty in the Marine Corps, um, the Holy Spirit sort of pushed me to stop listening to secular music for a season. I I didn't tell anyone else they didn't need to listen to secular music. Nobody told me. For me, that was something... Because when I would hear certain songs, it would take me back to things I was redeemed from. Do you follow now today, when I listen, uh, when I'm working out in my basement, which is too, too infrequent, uh, I listen to that kind of music because it helps me lift weights, okay? And, and I need to do that. But it no longer takes me to places that it did then, when I was a less mature saint. You follow? Okay. And so, you need to understand that Christians are at different stages in their, in their discipleship. Friends, we need to understand that truth, or we will hurt certain brothers whose consciences are tender because they've yet to discover the freedom they have in Christ, and they're not necessarily ready for all of that. They're still trying to come away from the old life and its snares. Now there's a time to teach our liberties, and that time is from the pulpit, and in Bible study, you know when the time isn't? When you want to go do something and they don't know better. That's when you're going to, let me teach you. What you mean is, let me help you violate your conscience because I'm going to make you do something you don't think you should. Do you follow? You can always teach truth. That's why you should be in a small group. That's why we come to worship. That's why you should be in the Bible. But there are going to be times when you're not teaching. You're just trying to use your liberty, and it's going to destroy their conscience. Just because we can doesn't always mean we We should. See, everything is lawful, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything is is beneficial. Brings us to point four. Liberty lived in love understands that knowing more is not the same as living better. Liberty lived in love understands that knowing more is not the same as living better. Look again at verses 1, 2, and 3. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know, this is what they're saying back and forth in the church, the people that are the libertines, all of us possess knowledge. Paul says, you're right, but this knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. Uh Uh-oh. Paul says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. That if you're standing around telling everyone how much you know and how little they know, and therefore you're going to do X even though if it destroys this person, maybe you don't know as much as you think you know. You know your liberty. You don't know your love. But if anyone loves God, he's known by God. That's a really interesting sentence. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. The more liberated Christians at Corinth were very self-centered. They were sadly self-centered. Those who knew they had liberty, they used it apparently with no conscientious consideration for their weaker brother and his lack of understanding. So verse 9 says, friends, be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom, you can do this, does not become a stumbling block to the weak, not to the Pharisee, to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in a temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So the weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. And when you sin against your brother in this way and you wound their weak consciences, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I'll never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. Now, if someone called out the freedom monger who's busy destroying his brother, and they go, hey man, we shouldn't do that because this guy doesn't get it. You know what they're going to say? All of us possess this knowledge. You know it. I know it. We can do it. Idols have no real existence. They've got their theology out. They're ready to unload. These haughty saints have made knowledge the holy grail of holiness. Holiness. The Bible says it isn't. Knowledge isn't the holy grail of holiness. Liberty lived in love understands that, that, that knowing more is not the same thing as living better. Certain saints sometimes will mistake their, their knowledge is the sure sign of their sure, true spirituality. But they do not understand that knowledge without love indicates a lack. Biblical knowledge. Scripture is never against knowledge per se, but it is saying that our knowledge must be informed by faith and transformed by love. Our knowledge must always be informed by faith and transformed by love. Knowledge that merely inflates our ego... Knowledge that elevates ourselves, knowledge that callously steps over other lesser enlightened brothers like there's some kind of puddle. Well, that's not very Christ like knowledge, is it? That kind of knowledge, it puffs up. But knowledge tempered by love, it's going to build up. Did you know the devil is knowledgeable? The devil is knowledgeable. But in his arrogance, he twists Scripture knowledge for his own desire. Possessing knowledge is not bad. What we do with our knowledge will either build up. Certain Corinthians said we can do what we please because we know our freedoms. But there is a big difference biblically between knowledge and wisdom. James 3.13, write that in the corner of your Bible. James 3.13 is clear on this distinction when it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By His good conduct, let Him show His works in the meekness of His wisdom. See, these Corinthians had an arrogance and a haughtiness and a selfishness in their knowledge. And James says, oh no, wisdom has meekness. And gentleness and Christ-likeness. Some saints focus on how well they think they know God. But the important thing, my friends, according to this passage, is that God knows us. Listen to how the Holy Spirit puts it in verse two. If anyone imagines that he knows something, He does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Friends, we should be less captivated by what we think we know and absolutely amazed that God knows us. Personally, redemptively, lovingly. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us now, we see in a mirror dimly, but one day face to face. Now I know in part but I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. See, right now God knows me fully, but I don't know all of theology fully. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these three is? It's love. Let's try that again. Jerry knew it. The greatest of these three is? Love! For God so loved the world he sacrificed for it. You said that earlier. God knows everything. And He didn't give us a theological treatise. He gave us a Son who died for us because He loved us. Liberty must be lived in love. Isn't this what 1 John 4-7 says? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It flies in the face of those haughty, naughty, always learning, seldom loving segments of the saints who will refuse to curtail their freedoms even when they know darn well it's going to harm their weaker brother. Uh, self-centered saints want to know this. This is what they want to know. How far can I go? That's their question. What's in it for me? That kind of knowledge is a knowledge that tries to grasp. But Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be... He let go of that in love. Knowledge tempered by love is the kind of knowledge that seeks to give. There's a kind of knowledge that puffs up. But love always builds up. 2,600 years ago, the prophet Jeremiah told us, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast Love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Friends, liberty lived in love understands that knowing more is not the same thing as living better. One saint once noted, and it was so powerful when I read it, quote, if I'm not oh so careful... Even biblical knowledge and theological understanding can make me less of a prayer warrior. Less of a lover. Less inclined to depend wholly on the Father because I mistakenly think I can handle any given situation on the basis of my knowledge. Instead of my Jesus. You see, certain Corinthians were letting the knowledge of their freedom not be lived in love. And so instead of building others up, it was tearing the church down. It was destroying the most vulnerable in the congregation, the weaker brother. And that is the exact opposite of all Jesus taught us. Jesus was the perfect example. And in perfect wisdom, Jesus lived out perfect. Which brings us to point five today. Point five today. Liberty lived in love curtails our freedom in Christ if it will destroy a brother in Christ. Liberty lived in love curtails our freedom in Christ if it will destroy a brother in Christ. Look again at verse 9. But take care that this right of yours, it is your right, you can do this, does not somehow become a stumbling block. We'll unpack that word in a minute. To who? To the weak, not the Pharisee. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat foods offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ Died. Friends, how dare we use our liberty if the net result is another brother not yet informed in the Scripture violates his overly sensitive conscience and he learns to not listen to that needed compass. Because it's all he's got. Romans 14.23 is very helpful here, I think. Romans 14's discussion of this question is from a slightly different angle. The Bible declares that the eating is not forbidden, and yet for some it would still be sin. Why? Romans 14 says, because for the man who has doubts, he's condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So. All Christians have liberty to eat that meat, but some Christians, when they're not listening to their conscience because they don't know the Scriptures, for them it becomes sin, not because the meat is a sin, but because they're violating where the Spirit is prompting because they don't yet know enough from the Scripture. Do you see? Oh. So we must remember that when a believer violates his conscience, he does something incredibly dangerous. Once he learns to do that, the warning light on the dashboard of his heart gets a thick piece of electrical tape. Instead of going, whoa, is engine trouble, tire trouble, overheating, you can't see it because you've learned to put thick black tape over the warning lights on the dashboard of your spiritual life. We become desensitized to things, and we're going to keep on merrily driving until our spiritual engine ceases, and we're left stranded on the highway of life. Worse yet, we may stall out at the worst possible moment, and a semi may be coming at us, and we have no ability to control the vehicle. Listen again to the Word of God. Verse 9, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat foods offered to idols. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed the brother for whom Christ died. Remember, this brother is weaker. His faith is still tender. He is wrong in his conclusion. He is not wrong in his reluctance to violate his conscience. So don't destroy him just because you have freedom and he doesn't know it yet. Because if you do that, you know what? You're going to be right. You're right, you have freedom. But you're not going to be righteous. Too many Christians want to be right. And assert their rights. And there's no concern for seeking first God's kingdom and God's... And that's what Jesus told us, wasn't it? In flaunting our freedoms and tempting our weaker brother, we're not just sinning against him, because maybe we don't like him and we're not very mature ourselves. <laughs> the Bible says we're sinning against Jesus. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees that you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. This thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it's weak. When you do this, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat again. Paul's like, look, i got freedoms, and I'm willing to give them away if I have to. Because Jesus is worth it. Maybe that dude isn't. Jesus is. The Apostle Paul called out the Apostle Peter when Peter refused to eat what God called clean because he was making the Pharisees, the Judaizers, happy. And yet the same Paul who calls out Peter refused to eat certain meats when he was trying to win certain people. Paul laid out a Holy Spirit-inspired frontal assault against the Judaizers who tried to shackle their brothers to law-keeping. The entire epistle to Galatians is a God-given refutation to that sort of legalistic situation. And that brings us to our final point, point six in all this. Point six is this. Liberty lived in love is never a weapon to force others to conform to our consciences regarding areas where there are not biblical prohibitions. It's a mouthful. Let's try it again. Liberty lived in love is never a weapon to force other brothers to conform to our consciences and convictions regarding areas where actually there's no biblical prohibition. Too often I see certain saints go to this passage to make everyone else live in deference to their preference. And that's not what this passage says at all. Jesus never for a moment let the extra-biblical traditions of men push Him away from the Word of God. Not once. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. But boy, the Pharisees steamed about it. Jesus was a friend to sinners while the Pharisees said you shouldn't be with those people. Jesus' disciples didn't follow the compulsive hand washing ceremonially that the Pharisees demanded in order to be clean. Based on the ministry of Jesus, liberty lived in love is never a weapon to conform our consciences in areas where there are no biblical prohibitions. And we need to hear this loud and clear because there is a certain type of saint who misuses, indeed he abuses, the weaker brother passage as a kind of spiritual trump card. you got to do it this way because I feel this way. right? You met that person, right? Full of love when they say it, right? In those instances where somebody says, you got to cave to my conviction because I'm the weaker brother here, it's okay to say, brother, we love you. And, and we have gospel liberty in this matter. And I understand this is your strong conviction. This isn't the weaker brother who doesn't know any better. This is the guy who studied the scriptures. He's come to this conclusion. Saints can't go to baseball games. He's wrong. It's not because he's ignorant. It's because he's defiant. Okay? And we can say, hey, brother, <laughs> this is an area we have gospel liberty. I understand your strong conviction. Let's agree to disagree and love each other. And maybe you might decide for the sake of peace in their presence that you... Don't do this. But you don't have to even do that. But you might. That might be a good thing. But it doesn't mean you can never do that again because this guy's over here watching. Because he's watching, isn't he? That's his spiritual mission. He thinks. You know, when you say, I love you, you love me, we can disagree on this disputable matter and still love each other. We can disagree without being disagreeable. It's been my experience that for that certain kind of saint, that statement will not be sufficient. They will demand conformity under the guise of unity. But friends, conformity and unity are different. God's unity in Scripture is unity amidst diversity. A diverse peoples, men and women and slaves and free and Jews and Gentiles. Diverse and yet united under Jesus Christ. Diversity within, or unity within diversity. God has given us diverse gifts. Uh, One has one gift and one has another. No one has all the gifts. Everyone needs someone else's gifts. Uh, uh, The eye can't say to the hand you aren't needed and so on and so forth. We're to work together for the common good because you have things that I don't and vice versa. God demonstrates in Scripture that we ought to see unity amidst diversity. Some saints demand conformity. Dress this way. Sing this way. Avoid this or that. That's not what this passage is teaching at all. It's an abuse and misuse and twisting of Scripture. And I find it incredibly ironic that most folks who call the weaker brother passage to demand conformity to their personal conviction fail to understand that the weaker brother is clearly ignorant of Scripture. They always tell me that they're the ones who really understand this issue. I really understand why no verse in the Bible says this, but I demand it. And if you would just look at these obscure texts that I'm half quoting badly, you would see it my way too. Isn't it funny that they go to the Weaker Brother passage claiming knowledge when the Weaker Brother is by definition ignorant? Now, I don't dispute that they're ignorant. But I do dispute that they see it. Somehow it seems as though saints who play the Weaker Brother card always claim to be the most enlightened But the passage doesn't. They believe that they really and maturely understand the restriction implied in this action and you and I are in need of correction of some supposed deviation. But friends, the Bible teaches that weaker brothers are those tempted to partake in my liberty. Pharisees are not tempted to partake of my liberty. They're threatened by it. You see the difference between a Pharisee and a weaker brother? Weaker brothers are tempted to do something they think they shouldn't. Pharisees are threatened that I have a freedom they don't think I should have. The church is very confused in this passage, amen? Some pastors are confused about this passage, amen? Living in fear of theological bullies and neo-Pharisees is not what liberty lived in love looks like. We are only prohibited from enjoying our freedoms when we are around those who will be tempted to transgress They're under-scripturalized consciences, not because some other brother demands we live according to their personal conviction. Notice who we are to live carefully before. Paul specifically states we curtail our liberty only towards those through whom their former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So what does that mean? That means that some guy who demands you wear a tie because that's his personal conviction is not who's in view here. That means some saint who says everybody has to speak in tongues because he does is not in view here. A brother who demands we only use his preferred Bible assuming it's a gospel, faithful translation is not who's in view here. Each of us are permitted our personal preferences but we are not to legislate disputable matters as though they're equal to Scripture and too many churches major in minors, and they put the peripheral, indeed the unscriptural, ahead of the eternal. And that is a huge problem. Some saints will weaponize the weaker brother passage to mean no one can do anything I disagree with around here. And that's ridiculous, that's harmful, that's unbiblical, and that's unchrist-like. Sounds like something we probably shouldn't do then. Ridiculous, harmful, unbiblical, unChrist-like. We only bend when we'll cause someone to sin by joining us, not merely because some other is offended by us. I want you to look at verse 9. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block. It's a really important verse. A stumbling block to the weak. The stumbling block is the word uh, scandalizo in the Greek. And it harpens back to the little stick you would use to spring a trap. That little stick that sets off the trap. The idea is we shouldn't do anything as Christians that are going to set in motion the destruction of a fellow believer because they're ensnared. That our liberty in that moment ruins their ability to walk as the Spirit is leading. It has nothing to do with somebody not liking our freedom. Turn for a moment to Colossians 2.16. Colossians 2.16. It's on page 1253 of the Blue Pew Bible. It's Colossians 2 and verse 16. I'd encourage you to write it in the margin of your Bibles next to 1 Corinthians 8. Colossians 2.16. The Bible says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. In questions of food or drink, Disputable matters. Or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Disputable matters. Different Christians have different convictions. Let no one pass judgment on you. Do you know that's a command? We're commanded not to be shackled to some other person's judgmentalism on matters. We have legitimate gospel freedom. We'll read it in context again. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. They're not the important things. The substance belongs to Christ. He's the important thing. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. I, won't, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, and I don't go with girls that do. And the worship of angels. Oh, it's Jesus and Saint so-and-so. Going in on detail about visions. Follow this preacher because he saw this special vision. Puffed up without reason, we really have the truth with his sensuous mind. And not holding fast to the head, Jesus, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that's from God. Legalism doesn't grow people, it stifles them. The Word of God liberates them. And you can feel the difference in those churches. Amen? 1 Corinthians 8 says, I am commanded to curtail my legitimate gospel freedoms before those who would be enticed by my actions to contradict their consciences until they've learned they have that freedom. I am not commanded to be bullied by those who demand personal preferences be my fences. Because liberty is lived in love, bullying is not. Adding man-made restrictions to the word of God, doesn't the Bible say something about that in Revelation? Just as we're not to reject the Word of God. Conservatives will not reject the Word of God. We're, we hold the Bible around here. And then we have a few other things we added. So you can, you can fail either way. You can add or subtract to the Word of God and both people are cursed in Scripture. The Word is the Word. The fence is God's fence. And we hang on the Word of God and no other and no farther. And so both brothers, those who add rules and those who discard rules, are both wrong. Because they're both unbiblical deviations from God's unchanging word. Galatians 5:1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that this topic that is just laden with confusion, that somehow in, in your charity there might be clarity. That in this brief discussion of their truth that transforms, that we would know the difference between a Pharisee's bullying and a weaker brother's need for us not to begin destroying. That we would have a a Christ-like love. That we would have liberty lived in love. That we would be gentle You're the kind of God that a bruised reed is not broken and a smoldering wick is not snuffed out. So when we see this new brother who's struggling with things that they're trying to leave and and, and they don't see their freedom, indeed, if they seize their freedom, it wouldn't be freedom to them. It would be bondage back to the sin that they used to be saved from. So help us to be sensitive and Christ-like and gracious and willing to forego our legitimate freedoms in that moment and that instance. But Lord, help us not to be bullied and badgered by those who make it their mission to play god and add to the word of god and tut tut and tusk tusk when you tell us to love and share and disciple help us to let you be god and for us to be obedient because a lot of times we'd like to be god and make other people obedient and that's not the deal we pray this in jesus name amen